Hello and welcome to the Thriving Three Counties podcast with me, Dan Barker. Conversations with inspiring business people throughout the three counties of Herefordshire, Worcestershire and Gloucestershire. And now it's time for today's episode. I hope you enjoy the show. Okay, hello and welcome to this episode of the Thriving Three Counties podcast. I'm Dan Barker and I'm here in the studio with our guest. He's a good friend of mine and a fellow photographer specialising in sports photography. He shoots editorial portraits of athletes, field of play and sports product photography from his studio in Winchcombe. He's been published in some high profile publications including the front cover of Athletics Weekly and he was even commissioned by the British Paralympic Association to photograph the 2012 London Olympic Games. He's a man bursting with positive energy who recently inspired me to do something towards my fitness every day for which I'm very grateful (laughs) and I'm sure that after this episode we'll all be fairly motivated to get out for a run or do some star jumps knowing him. He is Mr John Ord of Kinetic Studios. How are you doing John? Good, great. I mean what an introduction to follow. Thanks Dan. (laughs) No, you're welcome mate. Well first of all thanks for coming over and doing this. I, uh, I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's a real pleasure. And uh, good to see you as always as well. So um, just before we get started, your website is kinetic-studios.co.uk. That's right. And um, you're, you're good on the LinkedIn and the socials and everything, so we'll put all those links in the uh, show notes and everything and uh, tell everyone where to find you at the end. That'd be great, thanks. Cool. I'm looking forward to this. I've been looking forward to this all week, actually. So <laughs> we good. Because I know you. I, you know, we've we've known each other for a few years oh, now. Some years now. I'm trying to think. Just I'm going to say six years. Yeah, something. Yeah, because yeah. I, I found you on LinkedIn, but you didn't know that. That's yeah. I, I couldn't even tell you. You become part of the furniture now. <laughs> when I was, um, I remember when I was in my old job and I was just flicking through LinkedIn and search for local photographers. And you popped up, I guess, because of your engineering background and my engineering background. And, yeah, uh, the algorithm found us. Yeah, the algorithm found us. And then I uh, sent you a message and um, the rest kind of history, isn't it? Yeah, I think, was it, was it, I, I think I'd run a studio lighting course. Yeah, yeah, Have you come right. along on that? I came to that. And, um, and yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, I, I liked your energy and your ambition at the time as well. It's, uh, I think <laughs> we, were on a, we were on a similar path. We were both from engineering backgrounds. I had aspirations to do something outside of the office and um yeah i, I guess for, for me personally photography is that perfect junction of sort of science and art it's uh, yeah, it's, it's yeah. a good fit for me in that sense yeah absolutely cool well uh let's let's take it back a little bit first of all because I, I don't think i know the answer to this but where did you grow up is it are you, are you from this area originally or that's a really good question i'll try and take less than half an hour to answer it <laughs> okay so, yeah i was born in the uk I'm a, I'm a brit i was born in manchester in a little place called withenshaw but uh when i was four years old we moved to canada and i spent about oh, 10 yes. years in and around toronto moving around with my family uh, we came back in february 1988 when i was uh, what about 14, 15 years old, I think. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yeah, so I, I feel lucky that um, although I'm, I'm a Brit, I kind of still look at this country through the eyes of a, of a visitor. Okay. And, uh, and yeah, it's, it's, that's, that's me. Okay, all right. What, what, uh, what brought you out to Canada? Uh, my parents worked. Okay. I was only four years old at the time, so I didn't have didn't a much, have much say in the decision. <laughs> no. yeah. both, both of them, what, they, they got transferred out there or they uh, sort of no, wanted to move out No, I in textiles, I think it was, and uh, right, okay. we went over there uh, with his work. Like, I think it was sort of 1977 at the time. 
Okay. So they were encouraging Brits to go over to, to Canada and to America to, to help populate and fill jobs and that kind of thing. It was that kind of era. Ah, oh, right, OK. He didn't pick up much of a Canadian accent then. Well, I did, hey, but then, like, when you come back and you're 14 years old and you're, like, really <laughs> angular and darky and then you have this accent and you're, like, you lose it pretty quick, eh? <laughs> <laughs> nice, yeah, I like the A at the end. Well, I was, like, 14 years old. I come back from Canada. Um, I got told I had to wear a school uniform, which I'd never worn before, yeah, and right. a shirt and tie to go to school, which I'd never done before. Yeah. And I had this different accent to everyone. I was about a foot taller than everyone else in my class and all <laughs> arms and legs. So, like, something had to give, hey? <laughs> yeah. Nice. Oh, cool. I, I, it must have been cool growing up in Canada, though, <laughs> for that time. Yeah, it was, a, it was a great place to grow up. I yeah. mean, Canada's often sort of um, uh, described as it's like a, the, the standard of living of America without any of the gun crime. I think they've yeah. got more people <laughs> own guns, but they use them to shoot, like, um, I guess, bears and rabbits and less to shoot each other. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was great. It was really fun. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good country. I did a year of uni out in Canada and uh, Montreal. I didn't realise that. Yeah. Well, I might have done. Yeah. Did an exchange year on my third year. Montreal cool. and uh, yeah I loved it yeah. great great yeah. country I don't think I made it to Montreal we went out to Ottawa on a school trip mm-hmm. and um, yeah I mean Canada's vast so there would have been a couple yeah. of thousand miles between Toronto where I was living in Montreal or, or Ottawa yeah 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 it's, uh, it's a big place yeah we drove all the way across at the end of the year yeah and uh, yeah it was it was good fun yeah. <laughs> but yeah just really nice people and uh, yeah, yeah, different different kind of outlook. Yeah, the... they're they're laid back, they're chilled, they're a, they're a nice bunch. They're not not quite as uh, as brash as the Americans. I think they often get mm. a bit a bit like the Welsh and the English. They don't like to be confused the one with the oh, other. Oh yeah, I made that mistake. because yeah, <laughs> yeah. uh, my mum's American, I got an American passport. And uh, sorry, this is a bit of a side note, but yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I uh, when I got there, I went to open a bank account. Yeah. And uh, they were like, oh, you need some. I don't know, you need to be a resident or whatever it was, you needed something. And I was like, oh, I've got an American passport, if yeah. that helps. Well, that do. And yeah. they were like, no, it's a different country. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I learned that one pretty quick. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so, right, let's carry on. So you came, you came back school. What, what were you yes. like at school? Were you, uh, were you <laughs> well, a good I, student? Yeah, I mean, I enjoyed school. Like, I was quite academic at school. You know, I was good at maths and physics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the sciences and that sort of led me a bit more down the engineering path I, I mm-hmm. suppose that's that's what started that seed going um, but yeah I mean despite being academic at school I, I don't really subscribe to the school system I think it works it does what it needs to do is educa- educates the masses right. but it doesn't really plug into any of those sort of you know unique maybe fringe skills that a lot of us have so mm-hmm. I don't think I uh, ever would have had my my um, my love or my aptitude for photography discovered in a school environment. Right, that's, okay. That's something. So, yeah, so as I said, I studied maths and physics um, at A-level because uh, I had an aptitude for those and, and those sort of led me down an engineering path. And for a lot of years, I was I was quite comfortable in my engineering career. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I guess I, I felt there was something a bit wanting, a bit lacking mm-hmm. in uh, in the artistic side of me. And, and to be able to express myself artistically or creatively in some way. Yeah. Um, I guess that one of the ways I've described it is um, the engineering work that I was doing was technically very challenging and it was always satisfying to solve those challenges, but it wasn't as enjoyable as it could have been. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know, sure. The, the, the sort of anecdote I come up with in terms of challenge and enjoyment is if, um, if you're running for the bus because you're late for the bus and you just get to the bus before it pulls out, and you got on the bus 
you'll be really satisfied that you've got on the bus. Yeah. But let's be honest, you'd rather be driving around in your car. <laughs> right, and, okay, and that's nice. kind of it, the, the constant <laughs> challenge and technical of the engineering career um, you yeah. know, kept me stimulated. But at some point I had to stop and say, I don't know if I'm actually enjoying this. Right. I'm going yeah. and solving the problems every day, but there's something more that I could do. You know, in the nicest possible way, no one ever got too excited about my hydraulic duty cycle report for the landing gear actuator. <laughs> <laughs> you really could care less, even the guys who I was delivering the work to. So, yeah, yeah. Whereas when I, when I deliver a set of shots to a client, whether it's a, a personal, you know, a, a domestic client or a commercial business, mm. you know, it means something to them. There's, a, there's an emotional connection mm. with, with the work, which I really get off on. But you had some uh, pretty interesting engineering roles, I think, didn't you, in terms of... Uh, Land Rover interiors, yeah, Bloodhound. So I, I, I worked across automotive and aerospace uh, during, during my time in engineering and um, started off in aerospace. I, I've worked with uh, Doughty Aerospace over in Cheltenham, mm -hmm. Saffron as they, I think they are now. Mm -hmm. um, and at some point went subcontract for my permanent role and uh, worked in Jaguar Land Rover and, uh, and a few other automotive suppliers. So yeah, so that was fun. That was... Um, maybe uh, led me a little bit more towards the artistic side of engineering, you know, the product right, okay. design, uh, you know, the sort of physical interface of the steering wheel and the, you know, the, the door handles and, and that kind of thing. There's a bit more of an artistic input through the, the product designers. Mm -hmm. uh, but even then, I was still more on the engineering design side of the job. Right, okay, okay. Uh, and so at that time, because it's something that I think about a lot, the sort of, you know, engineering creative type thing, did you sort of have a view of creatives or you know and i'm putting what, what they're called uh, air quotes, <laughs> air quotes. Air quotes, I think called, uh, yeah. air quotes just for are. people listening yeah <laughs> yeah I, um, very very much so to the extent that I, I think we even had a term for them when we worked at jaguar land rover um i remember working on the tooling for some injection molded plastic panels they had um some some vents in some uh, air conditioning vents in and the, the story was that one of the heads of design had been filling up his car uh, his prototype vehicle he was driving around in at the weekend. He'd been mm. filling up at the weekend and while he had his uh, petrol pump in, he looked through the side window and realised that he could see right down these vents, which he didn't like to see inside the vents. Right. So we come in on Monday morning and decreed that the vents would have to be turned around 180 degrees, which obviously was a whole world of pain for all the engineering <laughs> designers. And uh, yeah, so, we, so we, we called them the felt-tip fairies. Right, because they okay. kind of just... <laughs> whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. I want it to look like this and put a load of felt tips and throw the drawing over the wall and, and we'd have okay, to go and yeah. make it work. So yeah, so I, I think through my environment, through my engineering background, I had a bit of a view of creatives as, as you know, not really being an, an important role or, or being a bit more of an airy-fairy role. Mm. Um, oh yeah, the, there was a guy I worked with in, in automotive who was a powertrain engineer. So he'd worked on engines and gearboxes and chassis, that kind of thing. Right, yeah. Uh, and he called the interiors departments as a whole the squeaks and rattles team. Right. And all okay. they had to do was make sure nothing squeaked or rattled. Right, okay. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, very much so. Having, having brought up in quite a sort of a technical engineering role where it was all about the stresses and the loads and getting the design right so that the product functioned, you know, the, the, the question of, of what it looked like or, or how it felt or how it made you feel uh, was quite far away from me. Yeah. Um, but, but having said that, it was, um, you know, it was, it was still something that, you know, at some point, you know, we, we, all, we, we all interface with that built environment, whether it's mm. a car or a, 
airplane or you know the front door of your house when you put your hand on the thing it feels a certain way mm. and something i'd long uh, felt and, and understood is from an engineering point of view when you look at something if it's been designed right if it's been engineered right it generally looks right mm. yeah yeah I remember walking up the street in Cheltenham years ago and seeing a, a, a 1960s Ferrari Dino parked up the side of the road. And I actually stopped in my tracks. Um, it just looked like you just poured the metal over these four wheels and let the wind <laughs> do the rest. Yeah. And, and it looked such a beautiful design. And of course, it, it was. It's, a, it's an all-time classic bit of engineering. Um, but as an aesthetic, it's, it's uh, you know, unmatched, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So... Um... When did you sort of start to get the, or what led you to photography? I mean, is it something you've always been into? Or? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, without sounding cliched, I think some of my earliest memories are bumbling around in my back garden as a I don't know, seven, eight-year-old kid in Canada um, with a, a little sort of film, Instamatic, Kodak Instamatic or something, but they call yeah. I can't remember that. But I remember getting a load of Star Wars figures for my birthday one year <laughs> and um, going out and setting up like a scene from Tatooine in my sandbox. Right. And photographing. <laughs> so maybe my mum still has some of the, the fuzzy out-of-focus shots of stormtroopers in my sandbox as a kid. <laughs> and, and I think even at, at that stage, the idea of having a little machine that could like, capture a bit of space and time and transport it, you know, that I could take a picture halfway across the world and show you what a beach looked like in New Zealand. Yeah. It's kind of a magic trick, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, if, if it didn't exist today and I invented it, you'd say I was a, as, as a witch or a, a, a magician yeah, or yeah. something like. Yeah. So, yeah, it's always held an appeal. As I say, with, with my steer towards the engineering, the technical and the science, the physics and the math, um, you know, that, that side of me kind of atrophied. Um, Luckily, I suppose, I, I lived with a fella um, during one of my automotive contracts and he had a film SLR camera. Right. Oh, that's interesting. I, I remember I used to like taking pictures. Yeah. So I borrowed it off him and borrowed it off him for so long, so frequently that I ended up buying it off him because it seemed like <laughs> the correct thing to do. And, um, and yeah, what, one of the first pictures I remember taking with that film SLR was, a, it was just a water drop hanging off a clothesline. And yeah. it had an oak tree inverted in it. I was like, wow, that's, I couldn't even see that when I took the picture. That's really amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, that sort of reignited my passion. And, and okay. I don't know if I've already said or if I said before we started the, um, uh, the podcast, but for me, photography is that perfect junction of, of science and art. Mm. Mm -hmm. It's creating something that's a bit ethereal, it's subjective. Do you like it? Do you not? I love it. I hate it. Um, but it's produced with this amazingly advanced piece of technology. Yeah, uh, yeah. F-stops and CMOS sensors and precision ground glass. But you're making something that makes people feel something. Yeah, yeah. I can't express enough. I feel really lucky that I found photography. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and it feels like a really good fit for my skill set and for, for what I get off on. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Was there a time when you sort of, um, as you were making that transition or rediscovering photography, that you sort of... Was there a time when you were kind of like, no, I'm not a creative, you know, because you'd had this view on creatives from being an engineering, you know, the kind of things that I'd heard as well. Was there a time when you sort of had to suddenly admit, oh, actually, I am quite creative, <laughs> or uh, it's, how it's, did that come about? It's, it's a really good question, and I, and I think it's, uh, it's something I question myself on all the time, yeah. if, even now, having created loads of work and come up with some 
you know, really creative ideas in different contexts. Um, and I think all creatives, we all suffer a bit from this imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. And like, oh my God, am I really creative? You see some other guy's work that's just so out there. <laughs> He's got some model who's been body painted and she's dangling off a rope in a canyon or something. Like, oh my God, that's creative. And I'm photographing this, like, this cardboard box or this bit of product for someone. And like, how can I possibly compare? Yeah. But, um, but, but we are, and it's, um, you know, I, I think... I always had a creative uh, element to my character. I, I like to make things, and that, that's what drew me to engineering in the first instance, yeah. is being able to design something and, and be a part of making stuff. So that, by its definition, is creative. But, um, but yeah, I, I questioned in the first instance whether I was creative enough. Uh, I, I think I maybe steered towards, you know, can I just take a headshot and, you know, this is to a formula and you get the person to stand at this angle and you snap the shutter and you get a headshot. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, I, I shot some headshots just on Monday this week, and um, yeah, last week. And uh, you know, I've started to understand now. It's it's what can I create? What energy can I create? What rapport mm -hmm. can I create that turns it from someone standing there looking at the camera, putting a painted smile on, mm -hmm. to giving me a little bit of them, mm -hmm. to to putting themselves out there a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. you know, with, with portraits in particular, I always say it's you know. People look at the shots, oh, that's fantastic. You're such a great photographer. I can't believe you got that shot of me. I was like, well, in all fairness, I, I created the environment. I pressed the button, but you gave me that picture. You know, mm -hmm. Thank you very much for bringing your A game today. <laughs> I'll say to people often. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so the, the, the creative and uh, are you a creative? I, I think it's something we all, as a photographer or a designer, we ask ourselves all the time, but it's um, maybe just let yourself be. Hey? It's, yeah, I, I think so. I agree because um, yeah, I think I had the, the same thing, you know, coming from that engineering thing and thinking creativity was something else. Yeah. And then sort of slowly like getting into it and thinking, oh, actually, I can create stuff and it's quite fun and it's open. Because I used to think, uh, I used to think I loved engineering because there was always a right and a wrong answer. So it was like, you know, good. But now I like love doing this stuff because there's no right or wrong answer, yeah. is there? Do you know, I'm going to, I'm going to pick up on that. And I, I don't know if you've, um, don't know if you've planted that question or if we've had this kind of conversation before, but it's, um, and you know, you asked me at the start of the podcast, is there anything we should stay clear of? And, and I've always said I'm, I'm wide open, but what you asked me about Canada and we, we lived in Canada for about 10 years. Uh, my folks split while we were there. Uh, in about 86, 87, I think it was, and we moved mm -hmm. back in 1988. So with my parents split in and us moving countries and, you know, as I described, being this angular, gawky kid at school, there was a whole world of change. Everything mm. in my life, it felt like a change. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think maybe at that, that point, being 14, 15 years old, that that might have pushed me a bit more firmly into the X plus Y equals Z. Okay. And right. I think yeah, I found yeah. some comfort yeah. and some stability in that. Uh, when I did my maths formulas and you'll know like as you work out a proof for a formula it's a mm. very structured methodical approach and mm -hmm. follows a pattern and there's an answer at the end and if it matches even to the point where there's, there's the process of the proof match how you did it so it's, it's very structured and very regimented and I think I found that really uh, almost comforting not at the time mm. I didn't realise at the yeah, time yeah yeah sure but the thought of say writing an English essay or doing a drawing and showing it to someone and having them say, well, that's good because I think you've expressed it a certain way. It all felt a little bit woolly yeah. and a bit yeah, uncertain. Yeah. <laughs> and I think uh, over the years, uh, I, I, I sort of, uh, you know, took a lot of comfort in that certainty and in, in that sureness of, like I say, X plus Y equals Z. Mm. 
Um, and when I got into photography, I had this conversation with my partner, Yana, just this week. I, I showed her a picture I'd done in edits. What do you think of this, Yana? I'm not really sure, oh, no, but I don't know. You, know, you won't want me to, you, you want me to like it. And I said, you know what? I think I'm finally getting to the point where I'm happy for you to not like it. Yeah. <laughs> because this is, as we said, you know, the thing with photography, you know, do you like that shot, do you not? Yeah. You know, is it, is it a good picture, is it a bad picture? Even to the point when I delivered the headshots I shot last week, I chose the pictures I thought were, were most flattering and best shots of those people. Mm. Half of them come back and say, oh, you took this other picture where my face was turned to the side and, <laughs> and I like that one more. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think, yeah, the, the subjective element is, um, yeah, it's, it's something really valuable. And there's somewhere, you yeah, know, there's somewhere in the middle of the, the right and the wrong and the, the do you like it, do you not, which is where the magic is, I think. Yeah, yeah. And it's also, um, to pick up on that point of, yeah, accepting that someone might not look like your work, <laughs> It's that thing of realizing that that's not personal. It doesn't mean they don't like you. Yeah. Usually, they <laughs> so don't like themselves. They don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, if you produce a whatever it is, a landscape picture, or you know, whatever it is, them not liking that is not a reflection of you, as it? it's as your work. But it's not like a personal slant against you. Of course, yeah. If people project all sorts of things, you might take a great landscape you mentioned but they might have had a really bad experience getting lost up a hill one day and they don't like the <laughs> yeah, shot that exactly. so you can't possibly predict yeah yeah, yeah, I, yeah i think i'm getting more comfortable as time goes on to um uh to recognize you know especially the nice thing with commercial is you, you shoot into a brief and mm. you know you've got to ask yourself the question have i have i delivered the brief have i ticked the box that they wanted ticking yeah, you know, yeah. If, they, if they've asked for a casual shot and all you've got is is someone looking very sternly at the camera, then you've, you've not delivered the brief. Yeah, sure, But if, sure. if they don't like their smile, then that's not your problem. That's for them to figure out. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. So, you picked up this uh, film SLR, mm. and then uh, at what point do you, how, how do you get from there to, I'm gonna be a photographer and have my own studio and uh, stop doing engineering? <laughs> that's, a, that's another good question. So uh, I think probably like a lot of people, I, I used a, a holiday as an excuse to, to, uh, to blow the bank on some decent lenses and cameras. Uh, me and my partner Yana went to New Zealand on holiday, I think 2006, 2007. Mm. And I bought a Canon 40D and a 7200 f2.8 lens. I was just like, you know, I'm gonna go out and snap wildlife <laughs> and snap landscapes and, and have some fun. Yeah. And when I come back from that trip uh, and shared my holiday snaps with friends and family, a lot of people are like, oh, wow, these are amazing pictures, why you could sell these and you're know, a great photographer, you should think about making a living out of this, selling them to Getty or whatever it was. Right. And it, it, you know, for the first time I was like, oh, yeah, hold on, that's maybe an idea. I could maybe actually try and sell some pictures. Um, then it was a bit of chance. You see, it was a random story. We, we were doing a car boot sale at Cheltenham Racecourse, and there was a toilet block across the site. And, uh, and I had to pop to the loo. And while I was popping to the loo, there was a dog agility trials or something was going on. Right. And I watched this thing happen. I'd never been to such an event. You know, I watched this thing happen. And there was like these fantastic dogs, Weimaraners and, and Dobermans and all these sorts of dogs leaping over these jumps and they were all, all the owners were wearing brightly colored clothing. Mm. I thought this would make for some great pictures. Yeah. So I approached the organizer and said, um, would you be up for me doing some photographs of your, um, of your event? And she replied, oh, that'd be great. We've never had a professional photographer shoot our event before. <laughs> like, Under my breath, well, you haven't got a professional photographer in front of you, but I'll have a go. So with, with that, I went and bought like a pop-up marquee 
and a dye, sub, uh, dye sublimation printer so you could do the on-site printing. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we got on a bit of a wing and a prow and a bit of a punt, we went and did this event. Yeah. Um, the first day, I think, was an unmitigated disaster. <laughs> um, we got some great pictures. I was showing people the pictures on the back of the camera as they come yeah. over the finish line, and they loved it, and there was a lot of interest. Yeah. But my other half, Yana, was sat in the kiosk with the printer and the laptop, and, of course, there was... We hadn't come up with a system for matching people to their dogs. Right, OK. So I had old Doris <laughs> coming up saying... Um, not that there's anything wrong with Doris, but I had old Doris coming up and saying, um, oh, can I have my picture of the dog? It was a black and white collie. Well, we've got about 500 pictures of black and white collies, which was yours. And you can imagine the, 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 the carnage that ensued. You had big queues outside about a kiosk and it just wasn't working. Right, OK. So that night I went home and we've got to come up with a system. And I just come up with a really basic system. I literally cut up a load of sheets of A4. And, um, and thought, well, all I've got is the frame number on the back of the camera. Yeah. So I better note that, scribble it on the paper and, and thrust it into the hand of the competitor as they finish. And of course, everyone's got these tickets now. They're wondering what to do with the tickets. And you know, it, the system worked. Everyone could find their pictures straight away now on a search. And of course, as soon as they walk out with a picture, everyone else is asking, where have you got your pictures from it? It kind of sold itself. And, uh, and I think we did about 800 quid's worth of business over a two-day event, three-day event right, that okay. first weekend. I've probably not done anything so profitable since, to be honest with you. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, and it, was, it was a real buzz. It was a real buzz. And, and yeah. somehow that solving that, that business problem and in, in come up with, with a system to, to find and match the people to their pictures and, uh, and going home after that weekend... Uh, with a, literally a bag full of grubby fibres and, and uh, pockets full of silver and, you know, the little girl who'd come up with a pocket money that she'd saved and the old dear <laughs> who was like, well, I, I was going to get a burger and a, and, a, and a coffee, but I'd rather have a picture. It's such a nice picture of my dog. Yeah. And that, that bag of cash, Dan, I tell you what, it meant something to me. Yeah. In a way that money hadn't really meant something to me for a long time. Right, okay. You know, you work in the office and you get your backs transferred to your account and you pay on your card and it was all kind of disconnected. Yeah. And it and it really the money meant something to me and the fact that the pictures had meant something to these people mm -hmm. and that they'd sacrificed other things, it was it was a thing. So I, I think at that point I was hit I was um, I was uh, I was I'd been bitten by the bug. Right, okay. And well, I remember going back into work on the Monday morning and sitting at my desk and <laughs> going up to the boss and asking him what he'd like me to do today and doing my little bit of the endless chain, be going, becoming again that little cog in that great big machine, which yeah. is an engineering firm. And it just kind of felt one-dimensional, mm -hmm. is how I put it. Mm -hmm. And, I, you know, having to figure out how to market the stuff, having to figure out how the computers worked and which software to run and all of those things. In all my other jobs, I was often, you know, conscious that I was distracted. And mm -hmm. I don't think it was actually that I was distracted. I was just bored right. doing the one bit of it. And I needed to understand how all the bits of the jigsaw fit together. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's it. So, yeah, that, that was it, I suppose, that, that first foray into event photography. And, and then as, as, as time's gone on, you know, when I get a big commercial... Uh, um, uh, quote in, and I've got to put a you know a retoucher and a stylist and an assistant on, and you know come up with something in that sort of context. It's again, it's as much as the photography. Maybe I'm just realising now as I'm talking to you, <laughs> as much as the photography itself, it's putting together those pieces of the jigsaw. Okay, yeah. Oh. So it's almost your engineering physics kind of 
background coming into play there and uh... yeah maybe yeah maybe for you but that's the job of the engineer isn't it to break down the big complex task into bite-sized chunks yeah yeah okay okay yeah no I, I totally know where you're coming from with that like just um i think the first time i did something some photography for someone they gave me a bottle of wine and i was like wow you know even though i just spent like however long like four hours or something i was like this yeah it feels different doesn't it when you've been doing something that you enjoy <laughs> and someone gives you something for it as yeah. uh I, I did uh, i've got a i've got a friend um i'll name check him leon taylor who does a he, did, he does a lot of it he's a retired olympic diver he won a silver medal in athens back in 2004. he, he was the guy that sort of sparked my athlete project which we'll talk about or maybe another time mm -hmm. but um yeah, we, I, I, Leon did um, uh, an event called the Life Event. It was a two or three day like a coaching workshop, and he um, he I got chatting to one of the facilitators in the middle of that event, and described to them to them the kind of story I've just shared with you now. Mm -hmm. And and this person looked at me and he said, "So it's it's the emotional connection that you're craving that you're not getting in your current work." I said, "Well, I've never really thought of it before, but I guess it is." Yeah. Um, to quote a Tim Ferriss, Chase Jarvis podcast I listened to a while ago, he said, where do you get all your energy from? And he said, well, I get all my energy from doing something I give a shit about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> get away with that. But yeah, and, and, and that's it. When, when it means something to you and it means something to the other person, it's, it's different, hey? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Okay. So what, what steps did you take then to, to start building this thing up? And uh, did you have an aim in mind at that point? Um, well, I guess you could subtitle this part of the, um, of the podcast into how not to, to become a commercial photographer. <laughs> so I, I went out um, not long after I'd started and, uh, and took on a big commercial studio five minutes from my house. <laughs> okay. I, I was thinking. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I was talking about making a, a, a venture into photography. Uh, a big commercial studio come up about five minutes from my house. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was. I shied away from it in the first instance, and then at a later point when it became available, I was like, "Well, do you know, you put your money where your mouth is, and have a punt on this thing." Mm -hmm. So I did did a deal with the landlord on the rent. We had a reduced rent for the first six or twelve months we were in there, and um, and it gave me time to sort of learn my trade, if you like. Mm -hmm. It was just a great big sand pit, yeah. Um, and and yeah, it. it, it Although it's, it's been a question over the years, you know, it's a big overhead. You've got to ask yourself, is, is it worth it? You've got enough work in the studio as well as your location stuff to, to, to justify it. But it's, it's been a tremendous learning uh, facility for me. And it's, and it's opened up the opportunity to work with the athletes that I've worked with. Mm -hmm. And I, I guess it's a bit of a, a statement of intent. Like when I come here to your studio, Dan, you know, you walk in the door and, okay, Clearly, this guy's a commercial photographer. He's, he's not mm. meeting me in his in his spare room or his converted garage of his house kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, um, sure. So yeah, so I took on the studio um, and invested in a bit of kit and just started to, to put myself out there and, and offer to do work for local businesses or people I knew. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think I was quite broad for the first, possibly for the first, probably for the last 10 years, maybe too broad. <laughs> We've talked about niching down before now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I wanted to have a play and see where my passion lies. So yeah. I photographed some athletes, I photographed some product stuff. I did people, I did family portraits, I did maternity shoots, I did um, commercial photography for businesses, had big industrial kit delivered to the studio and, and photographed mm. that. And, um, and yeah, I went, went through that big loop of, uh, of explore um, and I guess I'm kind of ready now to, to exploit. And, and it's funny because I've kind of come full circle. And 
And where I'm at now is to get back onto the my first passion, which is the sports and health and fitness photography, right. really. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah I think, uh, you know, when I look at your stuff, that that's like, you can tell that's where your passion lies, can't you? Like somehow when you look at someone's, a bunch of photos from someone, some of them just stick out, don't they? Yeah, yeah I, I hope so, <laughs> I hope so. And it's, um, yeah, it's, it's a, yeah, another conversation I had who it was with, that might have been my friend Leon again. Uh, and, and he said to me years ago, if you can set up your life so that it's congruent in a way, mm -hmm. then that's really valuable. And I, I couldn't quite get my head around what he meant at the time, but by congruent, he means like, well, you know, I, I'm into sports and health and fitness. You know, I've done triathlon in the past. I'm running and swimming and cycling, well, swimming when we can out of lockdown, but running and cycling as much as I can. Uh, I work out a few times a week on a Zoom now with a, with a mate of mine. And, uh, and yeah, I like to eat healthy and, and, and it's, it's a big part of my life, sports mm. and health and fitness. So if I'm then pitching for work with businesses like that, you know, if I'm having a conversation with the guy who runs a gym yeah. or someone who's a triathlon coach or someone who's got a nutrition supplement brand, mm. it's an easy conversation for me to have. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah and I, I think, although we've had conversations often about niching down and I, I, I think I, I've pushed against it because I, I felt it was restricting myself in some way. Yeah. But I think I I'm, I'm understand how it works now and I'm, I'm really certainly in my marketing of my business and how I push for work, uh, you know, to, to make that to make that a uh, uh, that decision. Yeah, yeah, and and then um, the interesting thing is that the other work still comes along, doesn't it? Even for sure. <laughs> yeah, and I think this is what I was nervous of. Is having yeah, yeah. It, when I started off, and I was I, I was I said I was really broad when I started off. In fact, I was super narrow when I started off. Right. Uh, because all I'd done in my studio, really, I, like I said I did a variety of stuff, but. Early on, I photographed uh, Leon in my studio. That led to, to photographing a bunch of, bunch of athlete portraits, yeah. uh, which is what led me to getting commissioned by the British Paralympic Association. Okay. And that was all within like a year or two of me taking on my studio. Well. So in the early stages, all that was in my portfolio was athlete portraits. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, now you might say, well, that, that would be the thing to do is just become the athlete portrait guy. But maybe because I was still working my job and I didn't have the time to, to push and to market it or, or for whatever other reason, hmm. um, I wasn't getting lots more work in that area. And what I was getting was people coming to me saying, can you shoot my wedding? I'd love you to shoot my wedding. Right, yeah. um, can you shoot my commercial products? Can you shoot my people in my business? And I didn't have any portfolio to show them in okay. those areas. Yeah. So I got nervous. If I thought all I've got is athlete portraits, then I, you know, I'm not going to get any of this other work. Yeah. So I broadened my portfolio out really wide. Yeah. And then of course it comes to the point, and you say, well, now it's too wide. You know, you're, this, you know, you're the master of all trades. You're the the the, the, the jack of all trades. You're the master of none. Kind mm. of thing. Yeah, yeah. So so yeah. So for a while the portfolio was quite broad. I recently taken weddings and event photography off my website just yeah. to niche down into the commercial photography. Mm -hmm. I think now it's time to niche down further into that sports and health and fitness. Yeah. Cool. Cool. And where, where's your love of sports and health and fitness come from? Has that always been part of your life? What, what if you, you only need to watch your kids in the back garden? What do they love doing? <laughs> they just love running around. Yeah, yeah. They'll run around just for fun. They don't even need anything yeah. to chase. They don't need a ball. They don't need a, a finish line. They just love running around. And, and I think that, um, that uh, you know, physiologically, that endorphin kick that you get from, from going out for a run or going out on your bike, 
Uh, you know, it, it can't be matched. It's, it's unbeatable. And I, yeah. you know, for anyone who exercises, you understand it straight away. For anyone who doesn't exercise, get out and exercise, <laughs> please. <laughs> yeah. For your own benefit, for everyone else's. Yeah, um, yeah it's, it's just a fundamental um, need for me to, to feel that endorphin, feel that rush. Yeah. Um, even when I go out for a run, uh, if I'm out for a longer run for, say, 10K or more, once in a while, I'll just throw in a few sprints just because they make you smile, <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's that thing. So, yeah, where did it come from? I guess <laughs> when I was a youngster, I used to love running and, and, um, and, and cycling, but I, I think in my teens, when I started college, uh, I borrowed a mountain bike from a friend of mine, and, and mm -hmm. at that point, at 18 or 19 years old, was really clearly bitten by the mountain biking bug. Right, yeah. So that's one of my one of my big, big things at the moment. I don't get out often enough. It's a, a bit of a mission to get the bike prepped and out to somewhere where there's some decent riding. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, that, that's probably my, my real passion is, uh, is mountain biking. It's mountain biking. The, the thrill of being on the limits. What do you call it? Danger in controlled environments. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Cool, cool. So, um, yeah, I mean, as you say, you've sort of been niching down a bit over the last, what, I don't know, 12 months? Uh, yeah, or? I guess, yeah, 12 or 18 months. I 12 or 18 months, like. yeah, yeah. And, and, I mean, how have you found it? Like, you've been doing it gradually, like you say, like gradually reducing your stuff on your website and, yeah. and things like that. But how, how have you found it in terms of, you know, when you put your message out there and is it, you finding people respond better, more easily? What's the... Yeah, very, so very much so. So um, uh, I'm part of a BNI uh, business networking group, and and that's one of the things they're big on is is uh, is what's your what's your perfect client like? Who are you trying to target? Okay. Yeah, I can help you find people to do business with, but like, who do I go and ask? Kind of okay. thing. Yeah. And and again, I started off well, you know, just like anyone who wants their pictures taken, please, <laughs> or anyone who needs photographs. But of course, then you, you, you finish that call, you finish that Zoom, and you're like, well. Who do I ask? Well, I ask everyone, and what do I ask him? Yeah. So I had a, I've had a couple of good uh, results, sort of case studies, if you like, which I'll reference now. And, and the first one, and it's really interesting, as you say, the, the, the power of niching down. There's a guy in that networking group who is um, a recruitment consultant. Mm -hmm. And I, I, on the face of that, I'd be like, well, what business do I possibly have with a recruitment consultant apart from maybe doing some headshots for him or for the people who he's trying to recruit into positions? Yeah. Um, but as chance would have it, uh, I think his wife is really good friends with this woman who runs a collagen supplement brand. Right. <laughs> so as soon as I said I was in like sports and health and fitness photography, he was like, oh, yeah. my wife knows this lady, Tash. She yeah. runs this collagen supplement brand. Why don't you give them a go? So I did a little, a little spec project for them. Um, and I think we, we had a few things pushed to the right because of the usual COVID lockdown things. But um, hopefully that's going to come on to some regular ongoing work. Cool. And again, not a link I ever would have made or that I yeah. would have had offered if I hadn't niched down. Yeah, yeah, that's um, it, isn't it? It's interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then the other one was um, I've, I've got a, a project time just in the, the, the early stages of setting up at the moment. Um, I spoke to a mate of mine who, one of the guys I go mountain biking with, um, his, his lad, his son is, uh, is quite a, a strong, competent mountain bike racer. Mm. He's got in with all the local hot crew at the local mountain bike centre. Yeah. So I said, well, why don't I bring my flashes and come out and do something on site with you? That'd be really fun, getting you tabletopping over the jumps or something like. Yeah. 
And, uh, and of course, because I'm thinking of taking lights to the centre and it's a public space, I thought I'd better ask, ask for permission. I got in touch with uh, Forestry England, who look after the centre. Yeah. And they come back saying, yeah, OK, here's the right forms to fill in. Oh, and by the way, if you do the shoot, we might be interested in licensing the images. Oh, sweet. So, well, it's like my dream shoot. Like, yeah. can I have a day shooting mountain bikers, tabletopping over jumps and get paid for it? Well, yes. Yeah. So, again, there's, there's two parts. That The first part is niching down, and the second part is um, it's just getting out and doing it, putting yourself out yeah. there, I think. But when it's your passion like that, you want to do it, don't you? Like, it's you, not like, even work, Dan. It's, it's like, not even work. You, you're making that opportunity for yourself because it's just something you want to go and do anyway. Yeah, 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 and yeah. then suddenly you, you might be getting paid for it. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. I think maybe now's a, a nice point to drop in. The, I think just before we started the, the conversation on here, um, I listened to a podcast the other night and one of the guys in this thing was, was um, his, his uh, filter for making decisions on what he does and what he doesn't do is if, if it's a yes or a no, it can't be like yes to the yeses and no to the noes. It should be yeses to the, to the hell yes. Yeah. So if <laughs> it's right. like, do you want to do this thing? Hell yeah, then that's like <laughs> something you should do. Because if you fill all your time with all the yes, then you don't have time for the hell yes. Right, okay. And yeah, yeah, if yeah. you ask me, do I want to go and shoot mountain bikers table topping over jumps in the forest? Hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'll push everything else out to make time for that. Yeah, yeah. But if all my time is spent shooting, you know, run of the mill stuff, the clients that I'm not that excited about, you know, yeah. I won't have time to do that other work. Yeah, okay, okay. Schedule your uh, priorities, that sort of thing as well, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Excellent, I like it. Cool. Um, I was going to just go back a, a couple of years then and ask you about your experiences shooting the Olympic Games, because that must have been uh, pretty crazy. Oh, <laughs> you know, it was... Um, as long as I live, it'll be one of the best things I've ever done, for sure. Yeah. Um, one of the questions I got asked a while ago, I did um, like a Zoom with a little photography group a mate of mine runs, and someone asked me then, uh, how much prep did you do for shooting the, the, Olympic, the Paralympic game? <laughs> and my answer was like, not enough, basically. <laughs> um, I got the gig off the back of um, uh, my athlete portrait project, which was again like a self-funded, self-initiated thing. Yeah. Um, it got picked up by the British Paralympic Association and they commissioned me to shoot. Uh, it was a package of work. It's some headshots of all their staff and some, uh, some reportage stuff and then to shoot the games uh, on site. And, um, you know, like I said, I was green. I was the new kid on the block. Yeah. The, the biggest event I'd shot, the biggest sports event I'd shot up to that point was maybe like my boys' rugby on a Sunday kind of right. thing. <laughs> so I arrived at the International Media Centre at Streatham at the Olympic Park with my backpack with my cameras on uh, and you know got swamped by all the Getty and AP guys with their teams of admin and all their backup <laughs> staffs and whatnot and um, yeah it was a wonderful experience it was uh, the, the most massive learning curve I've ever experienced I think I shot I mean I think I got, got about 15,000 images I got out of my hard drive when I got back yeah. <laughs> week there. But nothing else I'd ever know um, and, and yeah it taught me a lot um, I buddied up with a Canadian sports pro. I met out there a guy called Dave Holland. Uh, find him on Instagram if you like. And uh, and yeah, he was he was really helpful. He, I think he was similar. He um, he was working a job. He, he got the gig through the Canadian um, Paralympic um, uh, organization. Mm-hmm. And um, and yeah, it was it was fun. We sort of chummed around at a few of the events together. And uh, and you know some of the advice he gave me, you know, shoot wider, shoot tight. Oh, Otherwise, yeah, yeah. the pictures just look like everyone else's. Right, um, yeah. he, he gifted me, if you like, uh, in the fact that he shared the idea with me. Uh, one of my favourite shots of the Paralympic flame. 
uh, yeah, yeah. shot tight with a <laughs> 600 mil lens that was from halfway across the park. Nice. So, yeah, in terms of an experience, I mean, the Olympics is like uh, the biggest, most complex uh, sports event on the planet. Yes. I'd argue the Paralympic Games could be even bigger and more complex because of the subdivisions of the different disabilities that the athletes right, have. Right, okay, yeah, yeah. So just getting your head round, like, how to get where to shoot what yeah. and what you wanted to shoot. And if you wanted to shoot like that, that swimming event at such and such a time, or there's a transport system to get you across the park to that event. Yeah. But when you get there, you don't just walk in. You yeah. know, there's, there's slots that you can go in between the heats. Right, uh, okay. a queue of other photographers you'll be taken through in a batch. When you get in there, you'll be locked in there for so many minutes or hours until the next batch of guys can come out. Right, okay. When you come out of there, you might want to get to the sprint final, <laughs> but that's halfway across the park. Might be quicker on the bus, or actually there's an underpass you can walk on. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Organisationally, yeah, yeah. it was massive and complex. You know, the, the, the guys from Getty in it, AP, uh, the Associated Press and such like, you know, the big agencies, they all had admin teams with them just to manage that wow. side of it. Okay. So yeah, and, it, and I think the other thing that those games did for me is it is it opened my eyes to what it, an industry is photography and, and videography. Mm -hmm. um, up to that point, you know, in my little world, if you like, inside my head, having bought a camera and photographed a few family portraits and weddings and friends, little businesses and this kind of thing, um, you know, I had no real understanding of, of what photography was as an industry. Okay, yeah. Uh, and I remember going into, being, waiting to be released into the, to the next batches of photographers into one of the swimming events uh, between the heats. We, you, could, you couldn't go in the middle of a heat, you could only go in when the heat had finished. Mm. And, uh, and I got chatting to one of the admin guys, one of the security guys, sorry. And I said to him, are you always security of what you do each year? Because I would know, know, usually I'm with the cabling team. Like, well, what does that mean? Well, for the photographers, for the, all of the big agencies, uh, they've got cabling runs from the cameras that are sunk in at the end of the pool to take them to the picture desk and yeah. the cabling the whole, there's a whole cabling function that yeah. I hadn't even thought about and that really got me thinking okay this isn't just like John with his camera taking some pictures there's a, there's a whole industry and a whole organization built around this uh, this this thing so, yeah yeah it was yeah it was it was it was, it was a wonderful thing an eye opener. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. I, that's the kind of thing that I could imagine myself just like not getting any photos because of not going to places on time. And sort of. I, I missed a few. The, the wheelchair basketball, because we have a few stars of wheelchair basketball, right, yeah. um, is, a, is a thing. And it, it, you know, I, a few times I was on the wrong side of the, uh, of the, the Olympic Park to get to the place in time. Fortunately, I realised, and you, of course, you still get great stuff where you are, but you know, if you're there from one of the picture agencies, you, you'll have a brief, you'll have a shot list that yeah. you've got to hit. Yeah. Um, and in a few times, I, I guess I kind of allowed myself a little bit to just enjoy it as well. It was such a massive yeah. life experience beyond just uh, being there as a, as, a, as a job in photographer. Yeah. But um, I, I think one of my first, the first venues I shot was inside the Olympic Velodrome. Right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if, they, I, I presume they had the same things at the Olympics as at the Paris. Yeah. Um, the velodrome is, is like the sort of cauldron, if you like, for sound. You've got this oval track, this oval bank track. Mm. Uh, the crowd are all around the periphery of the track. And because they use like a beep uh, system to set the riders off, yeah. they have to have total quiet in the okay. stadium before they set the riders off. So there's all the cheering and the ruckus and the people banging on the seats of, of the excitement. 
And just before they start, they had a, a big screen come up. And they had a series of celebs like Helen Mirren or Daniel Craig or whichever big um, British Hollywood stars. And they'd be like, shh, <laughs> to the crowd on these big screens. And everyone would go silent. And then they'd be, then the riders would go off and the place would erupt with uh, noise. Yeah. Oh, and it cool. was just it sends tingles down the back of your neck. And of course I get carried away. I've been there like you've been in there two hours <laughs> or something meant to be in here 30 minutes and get over the way. And I haven't taken any pictures. Oh, for sure. It's just like, yeah, cheering you. You didn't get the guy crossing the line because you're too busy cheering for it. Um and and, and yeah, in, in, inside the stadium, I, I had the great privilege of being inside the Olympic Stadium uh on I think I can't remember which which way round it went. I think for the Olympics it was Super Saturday. The, for the Paris, it was like Thriller Thursday or something where they right. had, uh, I think, Hannah Cockcroft in the wheelchair races, Johnny Peacock in the sprint finals, and David Weir in one of the wheelchair uh, longer distance 5 or 10k events, all won gold medals. And uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't, I wouldn't have said I was patriotic until I stood inside the Olympic Stadium <laughs> in, in, in the front, front row centre in front of all the crowds with like 83,000 people singing God Save the Queen. Yeah. <laughs> so, 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 yeah, I, I felt really privileged and it's a, it, it's a, it's a super life experience. And yeah, and yeah it, it, it kind of bit me with the bug. It, for, for a while afterwards, I thought, well, wouldn't it be great to be a, a sports pro photographer? Right, yeah. But for, personally, for me, for my time of life, you know, I've got two young boys who kind of would like to have dad around at the weekend. Yeah. And I, you know, for that, Working sports pro, you're away a lot of the time. It's it's a big chunk yeah. of commitment of, uh, of lifestyle. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was a wonderful experience of life for sure. Cool. Yeah, that that uh, that actually brings me nicely onto something I was going to mention as well, which is like your your from where I'm sick, from what I've seen anyway, your ability to kind of mix your work with your lifestyle and your family and everything. I always think you seem to do a very good job of that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I put that front across, I can show you. It, it, it's tough, isn't it? It's tough. I, I, I think that, that work-life balance is really difficult and it's yeah. something I wrestle with. I mean, we, we've had conversations in the past. I, I think you're probably maybe a bit better at scheduling time and ring-fencing time. Um, I struggle sometimes with the work permeating into all the waking hours and mm -hmm. even into the late nights. Um, it's, I suppose where I probably uh, do myself a disservice is that I'm a bit of a glutton. I'm a, I'm a Taurus. I'm, I'm not into the whole astrology thing, but one thing I must say is I'm true to my Taurian gluttony. Right. So if, there's an if there are options of a, you know, would you like A or would you like B, um, if there's an option of can I have A and B, right, I'd okay. like to have that. So you know, if I can you know, run my business and have all the family time, yeah. and all that stuff, then, then that's what I'd like. Yeah. Um, what I tend to do is I, I'll often tend to try and give time to the family and do all the business stuff, which pushes, invariably pushes the business stuff late into the evening. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, it's uh, I, I think the, what I'm trying to get to is what you've got to be careful is to look after yourself and to, um, to try and protect your uh, well-being. Mm -hmm. Now, I've talked about how sports and health and fitness is really important to me. Yeah. What I'm just starting to get really uh, uh, aware and really conscious of and, and put the value on is that well-being bit, which mm -hmm. is hard to put value on because, like, how do I put value on? What I need to do is, like, sit down and not do anything for a bit. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's easy to see <laughs> that going out for a run is going to do you some good. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's harder to see that um, stopping work at 
uh, eight o'clock so that you have an hour before bedtime at nine or 10 o'clock is going to be really valuable. Yeah it's, yeah, it's it's hard to say that putting the phone out of the way when you're playing with the kids is valuable because then you're more engaged with what you're doing at the time. Mm. Um, so yeah, so that that's what I'm working on at the moment. It's just trying to to, to fine tune that that balance, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, the the balance thing's tricky as well, isn't it? Because also when you're doing a job that you love doing, mm. you kind of you don't mind not balancing it, or I, yeah. I don't either. I'm kind of like, well, I love doing it, so, mm. you know, it's fine if I'm thinking about it or talking about it at home for a bit, and whether that's right or wrong, I don't know, but, you know, it can't be that bad for the kids to be hearing you talking about your work that you love doing and mm. setting that good example, so... I, I think so. You asked me earlier sort of how, I, how I got into photography or what was my journey in, and, and, and once, I'd, <clears throat> once I'd bought those... Uh, that DS, that film SLR, and later a DSLR, and, and once I started having images digitally and could work with them on the computer, mm. what I found was I, I was spending most of my evenings messing about with pictures in Photoshop, or yeah. reading reviews <laughs> on new cameras and lenses, or watching yeah. some um, YouTube thing on some new technique I had to like <laughs> seeing. I was like, well, if I'm spending all my spare time doing this thing anyway, maybe I need to make a steer too. And it's actually, it touches on something that I, I only realized really late in my engineering career. I started to spot it with a few people that I was working with and eventually the penny dropped. It's, I think whatever you want to make a success of in life, whatever you choose as your path, if you're going to be really successful at something, you've got to, it's got to be your passion, but it, that means it's got to be something that you don't mind doing, that you're happy to do the whole time. Mm -hmm. So the guys I knew in engineering who were really successful were the guys who went home in the evenings and read the aerospace journals. Yeah, yeah. They loved becoming the expert in the field so they could speak mm. at the conferences. Yeah. And, you know, when I finished my work in my engineering job, let me tell you, rest assured, I never went home once and read a patent <laughs> journal or looked into you know, some new technology on O-ring seals for actuators. It just didn't interest me. Yeah. While I was at work, I was interested in what Committed, I was doing. yeah. But as soon as I walked out the door, I, I couldn't give two hoots, really. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and I think that's it. If, you, if, you, if you're interested and if you have a, a general interest in what you're doing, it helps. And for sure, yeah, I think for the kids, you know, I, I have them to the studio with me once in a while while I'm setting yeah. something up and they'll help me unpack the car and set up some lights. Uh, you know, my... My, um, my eldest uh, recently started playing with Google SketchUp. Mm -hmm. I left my laptop unattended for like 15 <laughs> seconds, which is all it takes. The next thing I know, he schemed out his tree house and half of the back garden in SketchUp. So yeah, I, I, think, I think you're right, Ben. It's, um, yeah, if you, if, if, you can, if you love what you're doing, you get excited about it. You know, <laughs> just, just briefly, I mean, I, I had a shoot in my studio with a girl called Tasha Danvers. I'm sure I've told you this story before. But um, she was an Olympic hurdler. She won a bronze in, I think, Beijing in 2008. Mm -hmm. and, um, and she arrived at my studio with two big holdalls of kit, uh, different clothes and outfits she was going to wear. I said to her, hey, Tasha, what's in the bags? And she says, uh, well, in this one, I've got a pink sequin mini dress and a big Afro wig. I was like, let's get those on first and we'll run with that. <laughs> and that shoe, it was like I was chasing her with a shutter all day. She'd been practicing her poses. She looked fantastic. <laughs> And when she left the studio, I'm not kidding you, I waited until I thought she'd actually driven off. But I'm not kidding you, I whooped and hollered the place down. All on my own, like in that place, I whooped and hollered the place down. I was 
just felt great for having had that day. Yeah. And, you know, for my money, if you can have one day of that, you're on to a winner. Yeah. And if you can have a handful of days like that a year, that feeds the whole of everything else. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. That seems like a good place to uh, to come to an end, doesn't it? I think on that <laughs> positive note. <laughs> thank uh, you. I was going to. Uh, the only thing I, I did want to say, which I didn't mention, was to say thank you because uh, I don't know if you remember a few months ago, we chatted on the phone, and I I said, look, whenever I speak to you, I'm always like motivated to go and you know go for a run or do something, and I don't oh. feel like I've been doing enough for my fitness. And you said to me, just do 10 press-ups, 10 sit-ups and 10 squats every morning as soon as you wake up. Yeah. So I was like, okay, that seems manageable. And I've been doing it every Excellent. every morning for the last, I can't remember, maybe four months, I want to say. Well, do you know, I and, didn't uh, want to say when I arrived, but you are looking quite buff. <laughs> Well, it was nice of you to save it for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, yeah, I've been sort of building it up gradually. So I'm on, what am I on now? 22 press-ups. Oh, fantastic. A couple sit-ups, not so easy, but uh, about 25 squats. So, but yeah, just that like consistency of doing it every day. And I never got on with press-ups because I, yeah. I just found them difficult. But like just starting with 10, even though like that was easy enough, has meant I've been able to increase it so uh, thanks for that little uh, gem well my pleasure mate and how are you feeling for that <laughs> oh great yeah yeah even mate. like after the first sort of week i was noticing that i was feeling much better and yeah. just yeah generally uh, better for it all so thank you very much <laughs> and thanks for coming in and uh, and doing this and sharing all that i'm sure uh, people will uh, enjoy that it's very insightful and uh, it's been great to be here interesting Dan. And, uh, and, and thanks so much for putting yourself out there and, uh, and making this thing happen. There's, uh, there's those who talk about it, <coughs> and then there's those who go and do it. <laughs> no, don't worry, mate, you do it as well. <laughs> no, thank you. Appreciate it. No, it's good fun. Take care. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Thriving Three Counties podcast with me, Dan Barker. You can find links to all the episodes and show notes over at danbarkerstudios.com forward slash podcast. If you've enjoyed today's show, please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. It helps other people find the show and connect more people in the region. Thank you very much for your time listening. I hope you've enjoyed it and we'll see you next time.